You are listening to Tattoo 408, and this is Clem. Bunch of folks chipped in, bought me Tattoo Machine Power Supply, unbeknownst to me, pulled me on stage on my birthday before sleep went on and gave me this Tattoo Machine Power Supply. And my life was like forever changed since. And and it's weird how things come full circle because just recently I acquired a a flyer from that show and Mm -hmm. a picture from that show. What's up, everybody? Happy Wednesday or Thursday, Friday, Saturday, whenever you're listening to this. But this episode finally dropped on February 7th, two weeks after the last episode. I'm really sorry. I thought life was going to calm down. It did not, but that's okay. Anyway, I'm Ethan Gregory Dodge here with the latest episode of Tattoo 408. And today, It's the first half of my interview with Clem. Clem has been tattooing for over 30 years now. And actually, I'll be honest, the majority of it has been in Santa Cruz. However, the guy was born and raised on the south side of San Jose. He got his start at the pinup parlor in downtown San Jose. And then he went to Marks of Art. And he is still very much an important part of San Jose tattoo culture. Ask any San Jose tattoo artist if they know Clem, they're definitely gonna at least know who he is. In today's episode, Clem's gonna walk us through the first bit of his career, actually almost the entire part of his career that happened in San Jose up to moving down to Santa Cruz. It's a great conversation. He's got a lot of thoughts. I thoroughly enjoyed talking to him. It was so much fun. And actually, Clem had this really cool idea that I hadn't even thought of before, and I loved it, so we're going to run with it. He said that he wishes he could hear each of the artists that I interview, their origin playlist, if you will, the play like a playlist of songs that they listen to or that can be that are narrative of their of their tattooing story, especially early on in their career. And so Clem actually put one together for us and you can find that link in the show notes and go and listen to Clem's playlist. He's got some good stuff on here from Minor Threat, DRI, Suicidal Tendencies, Metallica, Exodus, Black Sabbath. Great stuff. It's only 13 tracks, so it's not going to take you forever to get through. Go ahead, click on it, go listen to it. But after the episode, of course, I just want to point out, if you've been listening to this show for a while, you're probably going to catch this. But Clem talks about getting tattooed by Pinky and how back then your only really two options were Pinky and John. That has been discussed many times on this show. Just going to throw it out there again. Before we turn to the interview, I think you know what I'm going to say. Please like and subscribe. Tell all your friends. Follow us on Instagram and TikTok and Where else are we? YouTube. That's the other one. (laughs) DM me and I will send you some stickers. And last but not least, this Saturday is the Lunar New Year show at Current Tattooing. And many artists are submitting pieces to it, including myself. I will have a few photos there. I'm pretty excited about it. It's guaranteed to be a great time. Come and check out some great art. Come and chat with some amazing artists get to know other folks in the tattoo community, in the San Jose arts community. It is going to be awesome. It's February 10th at Current Tattooing from 7 to 11 p.m. We'll see you there on Saturday, but for now, 
listen to this episode with Clem. Cool. Okay, so here we are. It is actually a pretty sunny day here in Santa Cruz. That's not... It's cold, but it, the sun's out. Um, well, I appreciate you making the drive, you know? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Not everybody loves going over 17, uh, especially if it's raining. Um, but you got some sunshine, and you're going uh, against traffic. We're here early yeah. in the morning, actually. Yeah. We yesterday went... Uh, Yesterday in San Jose, and I'm sure down here, it, it was yesterday morning, it was pouring buckets, man. It was just oh, it yeah. was ridiculous. And I was like, I hope it's not like this tomorrow. And then I looked at the <laughs> weather and it was supposed to be sunny. I was like, thank God. Yeah. So <laughs> once again, I appreciate you braving the hill. Not everybody loves doing that, especially folks from the 408. So. I actually really, I, I really like the drive. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's not bad. It's beautiful. I, I remember whenever I travel, you have to go uh, to the airport, either San Jose or San Francisco. And I always, once you hit summit, your my whole body kind of relaxes. It's like, yeah, yeah, oh yeah. yeah, here we are. the The temperature decreases. You get through the redwoods. It's mm -hmm. like, oh okay, yeah. And that you know, that's why we live here. And you get a little bit of view of the ocean, the whole thing. Like it's uh, it's not so bad over here. Yeah, yeah. I love Santa Cruz. I wish I wish I could make it down more often. Uh, it, it's done me very well. I am uh, born and raised in San Jose, and I still miss a lot of people in San Jose. But no, Santa Cruz has done me uh, done me really well, actually. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so born and raised in San Jose. Let's let's start there. Sure. Where in well, what hospital were you born in? I was born in Good Sam. Good Sam. Okay. Technically, is Los Gatos, but we're going to roll that into San Jose. And uh, was raised in the house my parents purchased before I was born. I guess the late '60s, um, and they actually still live there to this day. Mm. Uh, and believe it or not, I think they still like each other, which is <laughs> which yeah, is insane. That is rare. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. Um, Unfortunately, I do not have any, have any terrible stories of, of abuse and hard times <laughs> as a child. Like my parents are awesome folks; they they did a good job raising us. And that that neighborhood was all built at the same time, so all the kids were almost every house there had kids, and all the kids were about the same age. So you could go outside and find someone to play with every day. We mm -hmm. would just get on our bikes and ride our bikes until until uh, the streetlights came on mm -hmm. and come back in. You know, um, so yeah, no, I don't have any kind of gnarly turmoil in my early childhood but the only thing that does kind of happen is when you grow up in the uh in the suburbs when it's all tract housing and uh strip malls there is no real no real culture you know mm -hmm. and and that that kind of uniform conformity is something teenagers especially my teenagers years kind of want to rebel against and we're, we're i was really looking for something new like what you know i didn't as a lot of us who have a lot of tattoos or do tattoos, we didn't quite fit in anywhere else, you know? Mm -hmm. I was never a, uh, I was never an athlete, you know? Mm -hmm. Not super good looking, not popular. So mm -hmm. um, the niche I found was like punk rock and heavy metal music, you know? Yeah. That was where like, oh, these are my people. This, yeah. this is my jam, you know? And um, so much of the messages and what you gave there was, was kind of like a, especially early 80s punk rock is just kind of a, yeah you know, rebelling against um, contemporary society to conformity to all those kind of things, which sometimes seems a little silly now, but when, <laughs> when you're a teenager, you, you know, especially in your early twenties, you really want to kind of martyr yourself to something, you yeah, know, and it yeah. could be, uh, you're going to be a vegan and you're all, all for animal rights, or mm -hmm. you're going to, uh, you know, be, be at all kinds of different political or social issues. But the, of the age where people are traditionally in the army, you know, mm -hmm. sacrificing themselves, battling the other tribes. Some of that age wants to kind of like throw themselves on the sword for some sort of cause. Right. So, you right. know, um, 
the flag we I flew, we flew, would was that kind of at the time counterculture music. Yeah. And and it was a different time. Like now kids there's you know, my kids uh, are small, six and eight. They go to elementary school. And there's kids at their school that have mohawks. Like, mm-hmm. when I was in high school, if you had a mohawk and you were walking and uh, there was nobody around, the jocks would pull over and call you a fag and kick mm-hmm. your ass. Like, mm-hmm. it it wasn't something you could do so easily, right. you know. And even some of the gear we had to get, clothes, if you wanted creepers or you walked on, wanted Doc Martens, you had to order them. Mm-hmm. Not online. There was no online. You had to <laughs> mail a check to England to get these things. Like oh, you snap. really had to go out of your way and work for it, mm-hmm. you know? And already I'm sounding like the old guy that get off my lawn, but that's going to be the, uh, the kind of the, the, the catchphrase for this whole time we're spending together, Ethan, is, you know, old guy, get off my lawn, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. Like um, at the same time, I'm super grateful for the time I came up because it was, it was so special. It was mm-hmm. so difficult to get into. It was so... You know, when, when when I first got getting tattooed, you could only get tattooed by, it was Pinky or John, yeah. you know? And John was the biker guy, and mm-hmm. Pinky tattooed all the punk rockers, and then mm-hmm. all the Viet gangsters and mm-hmm. the Mexican gangsters. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, there was only two options. And then when I started tattooing, like, if you wanted a really good tattoo, you'd go up to San Francisco, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And now you can't trip without falling face first into a good tattooer. You right. know, they're right. everywhere, yeah. which is awesome. Um, but in some ways, it makes it less special yeah you know yeah, like, yeah, yeah and i don't want to be an elitist and i don't i definitely want to be inclusive not exclusive but um pretty happy with the time i came up sorry yeah. i went over a lot of stuff right no, there no, i went no, past no. went far past the uh born raised no, you're totally ki- fine. parents <laughs> the, i think i mean i think that that i think that that feeling is totally normal if for like everybody right like that it's for, like to have a nostalgia of when you first started your mm-hmm, career when mm-hmm. you were a kid and then like and but still hold space to, to like how things are now as well, yes. you know? Yeah. Like that's, that's totally, in fact, that's the healthiest way to approach things. I think. Well, <laughs> I, I think life is an eternal, uh, struggle for balance, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, mm-hmm. nostalgia is real strong to think that things were better in the past mm-hmm. and to balance that. Like, I don't want to be that person living in the past. Like, right. You know, the, the the guy that just lives his glory days of when he was the quarterback in the high school football right. team. Like, I don't want to be that guy. Right. But at the same time, I want to be relatively relevant today, too. And, like, yeah. how do I balance the two? And I, I'm, in my old age, finding a great balance of, like, realizing who I am. I am that dude from the 90s, you know, and I mm-hmm. have that kind of sensibilities and I have all that experience, you know. Mm-hmm. But I'm not trying to keep up with all the TikTok kids, mm-hmm. too. You know, mm-hmm. I can't can't do everything and I don't want to be influenced just because the kids are doing this or they're getting a million likes for that. Do mm-hmm. I have to try and do that? And that's one thing that's, uh, that tattooers get really easily influenced because these images come at us at like a fire hose of what mm-hmm. people are doing. And, it, and it's hard not to think that, well, so-and-so is popular because they do this. Well, I can do that, mm-hmm. you know, like, and, and yeah, to try and it's, it's really hard to find your own voice and, yeah. and it's really hard to know what your true voice is and be consistent with that and faithful to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I totally agree. Um, what year were you born? No. I was born in 1970. 1970. Mm-hmm. So you were coming up in the 70s, early 80s. Yes, sir. You, you loved punk rock. Mm-hmm, who, mm-hmm. Who, who was your favorite band? Uh, I wouldn't say I'd have a favorite, but, you know, like Minor Threat, Bad Brains, mm-hmm. Misfits, DRI. Mm-hmm. I, I really like the stuff that ended up kind of morphing, kind of crossover, going more metal, you know? Yeah, so yeah. the uh, early 80s English, 
some of California stuff I, resonated with me because it had the right attitude. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, early Metallica and Slayer and uh, mm -hmm. Exodus and that kind mm -hmm. of stuff really grabbed me too. So it mm -hmm. just had the kind of raw energy, yeah. you know. And um, I, I, I heard a quote recently that uh, – that really kind of resonates and it really kind of reflects on how I uh, achieved my aesthetic and, and the kind of motivation for what I do. And that's that uh, music, excuse me, art decorates space, music decorates time. Mm. And I think that's true both literally and metaphorically. Mm. So um, the music I was listening to back in the day will still kind of remind me not only of that time, mm -hmm. but each individual band and each individual song according to our experiences will kind of make you feel something different 100%. and, and um, real art makes you feel something. Yeah. Right. So yeah. you listen to Johnny Cash, you feel one thing, you listen to Slayer, you feel something totally different, right. you know? Right. And then when I was listening to Slayer when I was 16 and now listening to Slayer when I'm 50 something, right. It's similar, but it, you know, right. and there's still definitely some nostalgia from that. And like, you would think you would outgrow that teenage shit, but no, I still love drawing <laughs> skulls and listening right. to, you know, right. to, uh, you know, that eighties thrash stuff. So, and I think, uh, listening to those things also, it also had a, a very strong aesthetic that came with it. So mm -hmm. punk rock, clearly the misfits were like absolute geniuses at branding, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. how, how, super iconic logos, like, and I've always been super drawn to anything real graphic and mm -hmm. kind of, before there was a term branding, branding, you know, yeah. what something looks yeah. like and what it feels like through its kind of visual iconography. So, um, you know, that music brought with it uh, so much cool imagery. And, and it was cool because it was before the time when there was videos and Instagram feeds where you knew exactly what these people looked like. You only had these little kind of tidbits to kind of dig through and find the treasure. Like mm -hmm. it was, you would literally look at the record and you see one picture and then there's some illustrations and, drawings and then the lyrics and then the rest of it you kind of made up yourself mm -hmm. and um i think i was listening to a podcast with maybe rick rubin or someone else and they were talking about how i think it was rick rubin and trent reznor and they were talking about like nobody just sits down and listens to music anymore mm -hmm. whereas back in the day you would you really kind of consume it whereas now it's it, music is just something you have in the background while you're doing something else right where right is when we were kids you put headphones on and just look at the record cover and really be immersed in it and 100%. i think that's an experience that i think our, our culture is just so fast-paced that there mm. people don't have the time to kind of sit down and really <sighs> digest it yeah. and enjoy it, it, it versus like i'll just put a playlist on spotify on, mm -hmm. you know like yeah. which i do all the time don't get me wrong but it, it, it created a whole new world, a whole new universe, like almost like reading comic books or something, right. you know, of what, and, and, and it's funny, like I, what I imagine these dudes to be like, and then what they really were like is probably quite a bit different. <laughs> and, and in a lot of ways, I'm glad I never met a lot of those dudes because the, yeah. the people that I really look up to, like I could have one bad interaction with them and man, that would just yeah. ruin my like, don't meet your heroes. Feel for that music. Yeah. You know, I don't want to meet all my heroes. I don't right. want to meet Carrie King. Like, right. Right. Um, he's probably awesome, but if I got that one bad day, man, yeah. it would taint all those records, you yeah. know? Yeah, for And the sure. adverse, like you go see a band and they're, you, you didn't have much expectations and they have an amazing live performance. Well, bam, I love that band so much more. Mm -hmm. The exact adverse can happen really easily. There's yeah. some sort of bad interaction. So anyway, yeah, yeah. I, I, I like to keep those kind of separate. And even in the, in the tattoo world too, I've been really fortunate to get to tattooed by a lot of my 
heroes and mm-hmm. um almost all of them have been super cool you yeah. know and had really great experiences and always learned something so um yeah anyway who's uh who's who who are some of those well you mean other than ed hardy okay. ed hardy <laughs> ed hardy what? is the don the yeah. godfather yeah the, he nothing we are doing right now would be done without that man that, right. that dude um set the architect for every, he was archetype he was 20 years ahead of everybody. He's every style you can think of. He's done it. Yeah. He was super influential in putting good time. Charlie's together to whole fine line, black and gray stuff. Mm-hmm. He was doing tribal stuff. He was doing biomech stuff. Mm-hmm. He was doing Morphe stuff. Um, obviously phenomenal Japanese style mm-hmm. stuff. He was one of the first few to go to Japan and really study there and do it there and bring that over here. So he, you know, I kind of consider him the, the, the originator of the tattoo renaissance. Mm-hmm. He's the one that took it from being like a subculture freak, um, outsider art kind of thing into mm-hmm. like bringing an, an art school mentality. He, he right. got a, his fine arts degree in printmaking and, and kind of melded the two. Took right. this kind of folksy craft art um, and turned it into high art. You right. know? Or it can be. A, a, a high craft for sure. I tend to kind of enter, you know, in between craft and art. I'm not mm-hmm. quite sure, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, depending yeah, yeah. on the piece, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. What did he tattoo on you? You know what? That's one of my great regrets is I never got tattooed by. Oh, that. okay. You I know, see. in in when I first started tattooing and I'm my head firmly implanted up my ass, I'm still <laughs> kind of learning what was cool. You yeah. know, in the first shop, those dudes got tattooed by Ed Hardy, mm-hmm. uh, and we can get into that in a minute, but um. You know, at the time, in the early 90s, I'm like, ah, his line work's not that good. Like, mm-hmm. being kind of a dumbass that doesn't get it, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and same yeah. thing, I didn't, I could have gotten tattooed by Dan Higgs, too. And, and same oh, thing, I was shit. like, eh, like, I wasn't fully feeling the whole trad thing at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it was the 90s, and I was, uh, you know, hardcore sub-pop Seattle scene kind of mm-hmm. guy, long mm-hmm. hair, the whole thing. And, like, tribal was real big, and that's yeah. what all my friends wanted, and, mm-hmm. you know... Um, and, and, you know, when you, when we were the early nineties, when we first started my generation, we really wanted to make tattoos that didn't look like tattoos because mm-hmm. we felt that that traditional stuff was kind of old and blase mm-hmm. and, or biker shit or whatever. So we we're trying to reinvent everything. And then with a little time and a little distance, we realized, well, no, there's a reason why those designs have right. survived, right. you know? And, um, now I get it old age you know there's yeah. there's always always you know hindsight is always 2020 it's right. easy to uh to say what it could have should us you know right. and that you not getting tattooed by ed is 100 percent one of them and yeah. i know uh multiple people that got tattooed by him and had just like life-changing experiences mm-hmm. even just in the action in a couple hours mm-hmm. so yeah that's 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 a big regret but but yeah he's clearly at the top of the list yeah you've you've met him though i have yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. i mean brief interactions at conventions and i've yeah. been getting tattooed at, at Tattoo City while he was there and things mm. like that. But uh, I wouldn't say we're tight bros. No. Right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so when, were you always drawing as a kid? Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, 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 I was then and still am the kid that needs some, uh, some alone time, some mm-hmm. solitude, you mm-hmm. know? And um, drawing was one of those times where I'm, not, I'm still not great at social interactions, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. at, at being around – especially groups of people. 
one-on-one, -on -one I can do okay, especially if I'm in my my home turf, my environment yeah. where I feel comfortable. But um, social interactions were always a little tricky for me. So um, being at home drawing was, and still is, one of the times where I feel kind of most at ease. You mm -hmm. know, like that's where, that's what feels natural, mm -hmm. you know. And that was one of the things early on as a, as a teen that I, you know, I wasn't a musician, but my friends were starting to start bands and whatnot, but when I would do drawings, I would get some, uh, some attaboys, you know, people mm -hmm. would be like, Oh, that's cool. You yeah. know, and then start, get that like pat on the back that everybody wants, you yeah. know? So I was getting some response. So mm -hmm. I kept pushing it and doing it. And mm -hmm. that, you know, realized that that's would probably be my kind of role compared to being the, the drummer or the roadie or the whatever, yeah. you know, and that was my part to fit in, you know? What kind of stuff were you drawing? I mean, you mentioned that you were super inspired by the like the mis misfits iconography and logos sure. and stuff. But what kind of stuff were you drawing? Oh yeah, I know, and super uh, influenced by skateboard culture too. Hell so yeah. you know, uh, Pusshead, Jim Phillips, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Skulls, snakes, fire, mm -hmm. tanks, <laughs> planes, cars. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Honestly, I realized not that long ago the shit that I liked drawing when I was thirteen is still some of my favorite shit. <laughs> you know, like you gotta yeah and. and I have a tendency, I've spent many years kind of overanalyzing what I'm doing, trying to justify what I do. And, and, and the reality is the only reason you need to, the rationale you need to get a tattoo, because after LA Inc. and whatnot, people think they need this long paragraph of why they're yep. getting what they're doing, the motivations yep. and, and rationalizing it and justifying it and explaining it. Like, no, yeah. the only reason you need is because it's cool. Yep. And if I need to explain it to you, it's not going to happen. Yep. You know, you're not going to get it. Yep. And my idea cool, maybe different than your idea cool, mm -hmm. but there's this, we like some of the same kind of stuff. So I, I always feel bad for people and they feel like they need to justify getting a tattoo. Mm -hmm. There's lots of motivations. There's not only one motivation, but right. the, the primary one is just because you like it and mm -hmm. you enjoy it. That's the only thing you really need. Yeah. You know, it doesn't, you know, when people are searching to find some sort of meaning, like, well, I want this birthstone or, <laughs> you know, the, the birth flower. I'm like, okay, that's cool. When you think of your kid, do you think of birthstone? Right. You know, right. like when I think of Slayer, I don't think of music notes. Right. You know what I mean? Right. You think of skulls, you mm -hmm. know, like mm -hmm. what, what invokes that feeling? And, and once again, like good art will invoke a feeling, yeah. you know, what does it feel like that's something that's appropriate to honor your kid, to honor yeah. a, a great achievement in life, mm -hmm. to like show people on the outside how you feel on the inside, yeah. you know, to create... You know, clearly there's probably some, you know, body dysmorphia. So what you do, if you don't really like the way your body looks, well, let's, let's, let's decorate the, uh, the walls of the temple, you yep. know, like, yep. I mean, if I was super comfortable with my body, I wouldn't be covered in tattoos. Right, <laughs> right, 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 right. right. And, yep. I mean, there's still plenty of good looking people with nice bodies that have lots of tattoos, right. but, um, there's part of that, like, you know, I'll, I, I wasn't given the, uh, the, the free physique. I got to kind of work mm -hmm. for it and the way yeah. i work for it instead of in the gym is at the tattoo shop yeah. right yep you know and in a lot of ways i take my shirt off and i can get a lot more looks than that dude that spends his all his life in the gym you know yeah yeah yeah. but the iron the grand irony is is like a good buddy of mine talk about and joke about the only time i take my shirt off and walk around is at a hotel swimming pool yeah know? yeah yeah i'm not walking around with my shirt off at home or you right, know right if i do and my kids they just roll their eyes like yeah put your shirt on what are you doing <laughs> my <laughs> you kids know? do the same thing that's so funny um the it's it's oh sorry this is what I, um are you familiar with uh matt lauder matt lauder he has a podcast called beneath the skin 
and he's a tattoo historian oh, yeah, from yeah, England. Yeah. I've actually just listened to a couple of those. Yeah. 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 The Gra- Euro guys, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Great podcast. Matt Lauder is phenomenal. Um, it's, uh, he, he, on many of the episodes, he's made the same thing, same point about Miami and LA Inc. that they mm-hmm. like ruined tattoo culture in oh, a way. Absolutely. And he, yeah, that's, yeah. A, that, that's my words, not his. He hasn't sure. said ruined, but he had, he has said exactly what you just said that like, um, that that is what made people think that tattoos have to have some sort of meaning. Yeah. And, and yeah, yeah to yeah. Me, meaningful tattoos can be cool, but yeah. at the end of the day, like... Well, there's lots of different motivations why people get tattoos. Mm-hmm. Um, people get tattoos to be included in a group. Right. You know, they get tattoos to commemorate something. Um, if someone's grieving, there's really a desire to do something and yeah. getting a tattoo for that person that's passed often yep. feels like you've done something. Yeah. Um, so yes, those are, are legitimate and, and appropriate motivations. Right. But the fact that you can also do it just because you think chicks with big tits are awesome. Right. You know, there's right. nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Or skulls are cool. Yeah. Or, you know, tribal stuff just looks cool. You yeah. know, I, all of those are, are totally reasonable motivations. But I think what, what has happened is tattoo culture has become much more mainstream. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that did is, is got people that wouldn't normally be going to the tattoo shop or going to the tattoo shop, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. they're not, it's almost like people that don't like tattoos are getting tattoos, right. you know, like right. they're getting it because other people are, or because the influencers are, and, and they're following, I don't want to sound like an asshole, but like, there's a little bit of a sheep mentality sometimes with pop yeah. culture. You know, yeah. people will do the thing that everybody else is doing. And yeah. tattooing is 100% a reflection of pop culture. Yep. Um, Black Panthers, um, all the, the old traditional tattoo designs did not pop up organically out of some sort of tattoo Bible. Mm-hmm. They were cool because that was a hip thing in right. that culture at the time. Right. And a lot of these like sacred tattoo designs that we hold so dearly really just the reflection of mm-hmm. like it's the 40s version of pinterest mm-hmm. you know like it was in interesting some sort of magazine ad or like you know people getting the felix cat cartoon or, mm-hmm. or mickey mouse it was just because mm-hmm. that's what they were into or yeah. pinups were like well pinups were more a part of pop culture mm-hmm. you know so that's the ended up pinup tattoos you right. know there'd be a version of one that they saw in life magazine yeah whatever yeah. you know so yeah anyway yeah, I kind of lost my train of thought. No, no, no. <laughs> it's it, it's interesting to kind of drive that point home um, that you said that the Pinterest of the '40s, mm-hmm. it, um, going back to Matt Lauder and Beneath the Skin, they just did a fantastic episode about the history of Flash. Mm-hmm. And I, did you listen to it? I did. Yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. so, so you heard them talk about how there's this there's this design where it's a where it's a wolf head and it's half the wolf's head with its <laughs> fur and then half of its skull yeah. but it's not an actual wolf skull it's a raccoon skull because yeah. somebody mislabeled a raccoon skull as a wolf skull on Pinterest well it, which is fascinating to me well yeah and, and the, the, here's another get off my lawn moment right now um <laughs> when i first started coming up like you could really judge the caliber of an artist by the, the variety in their library, mm-hmm. you know, someone's book collection was, you know, no one has the ability to draw everything. We right. all need reference and right. we all get inspiration. And, and it's, uh, uh, you know, when I went to Japan, I loaded my suitcase down with books so I could barely fucking carry it. But there's all these mm-hmm. books that I, you can't get at home, mm-hmm. you know? And it was this kind of, the, the holy grail is finally finding yeah. these, these books with this imagery that you're not going to find at Barnes and Noble. Mm-hmm. You gotta, you gotta, gotta dig deep and find it. And now with, the, the Googles, you can just 
search for whatever you want. Right. And I think a lot of some people's work, I'm not gonna say even a lot of people's work, there is you can tell is like the first three images from Google. Like yeah. they you want an yep. owl, you want a pocket watch or whatever. It's like, yeah. oh well, you just went to Google. And, yeah. and I mean, don't get me wrong, I use image search all the time. Right. You know, I, I need to find reference to and even times like I could be sitting at my desk and I can go on Google or I can walk across the studio and pull a book. And sometimes I'll just, it right. on what you're trying to look for, you know, right. like I don't need to reinvent the wheel every time, right. but um, this volume of information in a lot of ways has made people kind of lazy, it's, yeah. you know, and um, sometimes it just looks like, well, I just Photoshop together a few images from Google and then I'm a, an amazing mm -hmm. Xerox machine, mm -hmm. which the technical ability is phenomenal mm -hmm. but sometimes you just don't have that soul yeah you know i would rather see something that's technically a little bit wonky a little loose mm -hmm. but it just has the right feel mm -hmm. it just fucking punches you in the gut you know like oh that's got it versus yeah. something that's just so technique and designer i think are two different things yeah you know like yeah. you need the, the the technique to support the design but the design's the most important the yeah. design and the layout and yeah. if it has the thing if it has the juice if it has the sex like mm -hmm. you know it right away right you know whereas something that's technically perfect but doesn't have any balls mm -hmm. is just kind of boring yeah you know yeah and, it, and it's a weird line and, and i think so much of that is know it when you see it and so much of that also is 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 fueled by our personal experience you yeah. know like what the stuff i like is going to be different from the stuff you like that doesn't mm -hmm. mean the stuff that you like is wrong mm -hmm. it just we are an amalgamation of all our experiences and what we've had positive experiences with and negative experiences with and what are you going to kind of associate is there something that oh that makes me feel awesome because i remember that time or that mm -hmm. that feels like that comes from my people or mm -hmm. my culture or that feels like it's done correctly mm -hmm. that's another giant topic yep. it, when tattoos are done correctly quote mm -hmm. unquote mm -hmm. which i have found like if you're looking into the the meaning of an image um you could look at four different sources and get six different answers. Yeah. So yep. I, I really have kind of, and even like, um, Taki probably backed me up on this one too. Like, you know, <laughs> I spent some time like trying to figure out um, the symbolism within Japanese tattooing. Right? Mm -hmm. I love Japanese tattooing. It's mm -hmm. amazing, right? Mm -hmm. um, but what things mean really kind of depend on what tattoo family you come from. Right. In, in, in general, they're pretty similar. It's not yeah. like totally opposites but mm -hmm. there's subtle differences that each family kind of believe so mm -hmm. um there is a point where like you got to just kind of go with it and mm -hmm. i think the the power an image has has everything to do with the energy you put into it mm -hmm. if you decide that this means this is for my kid or this is for you know for strength or this is for perseverance or for um metaphorically reaching the top of the mountain like yes 100% that's what that means. Mm -hmm. You don't need to read it on the Googles for it to say that that means what you want it to mean, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Am I getting yeah. too esoteric here? No, 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 this? not at all, not at all. <laughs> you know what's fascinating is artists are now starting to use AI image generation to yeah. get better references, yeah. right? Like if they like need an animal in like a certain pose, yeah. they'll like go to the AI image generators to try and get it in that pose. Well, I think that just reinforces exactly what I'm saying, that yeah. they're going for... What's the easier way to do it, mm -hmm. you know? And, hey, man, some of those AI images are awesome, mm -hmm. you know, no doubt. And and it's just like when people first started using iPads, like the, the old crusty dudes are like, that's fucking cheating, you mm -hmm. know, like whatever. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like 
because old dudes just love tracing dead dude flash. Like, mm-hmm. well, <laughs> just tracing dead dude shit doesn't, they're like revering this, this sacred art that like is constantly evolving. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got to keep changing. Yeah. We can't just keep doing the same designs over and over. It, it, you know, so it's going to evolve and it's going to be different for different people, you yeah. know? And, um, it's really hard to say where all this AI shit's going in a lot of different ways. But, um, as far as art goes, I think AI generated art in the tattoo context is going to end up looking like, uh, auto tune sounds and music. Mm, like it's going to have this like interesting. And even like, I, I, I am not that versed in AI art, but what mm. I've seen, like it's, really neat imagery but really quick it's starting to all look like ai art Mm -hmm. it's just like when when they made lord of the rings like i can't watch ten thousand orcs fighting like i don't know what to look at like Uh or you watch a john carpenter movie you know Mm -hmm. where you watch big trouble in old china or the thing or something those movies are scary because that's still latex and slime Mm -hmm. but you only get a little hint at the monster right you don't see the giant monster with eight mm-hmm. eyes, you know, like what isn't seen is way scarier than what is seen, right. you know? And I think that's true in tattooing too, to, to keep the like, what does it really need mm-hmm. versus how much frosting can I pile on top of it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. More frosting doesn't make cake better. Right. You know, like right. it's that foundation. I hate frosting, but that's a whole nother story. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd rather have bread. Uh <laughs> I will eat cake, don't get me wrong. Uh, but no, to have that foundation of like what, and I, I think that the the beauty in traditional tattoos is they really focus on what needs to be there. Uh-huh. What has to be there for this to work and let's get rid of all the other bullshit. Yeah. You know, yeah. like as young tattooers, we find lots of tricks like, and you'll even see it in traditional flash. Even some of the, the, the heroes of our past do it too. Like it's hard to draw hands. Mm-hmm. You know what you do? Oh, you just put her hand behind her head, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Oh, it's hard to draw hands. We'll put some flames or water right there. You know, right. there's a lot of tricks to hide thing where this is more making things better. No. And I think, uh, in life as well as in my career to try and kind of less is more yeah. to slim things down, to streamline your operation to what do you really need, mm-hmm. you know, to get rid of stuff. Yeah. More stuff isn't better, yeah. you know? Um, covet the important stuff, mm-hmm. um, emphasize the important stuff. Yeah. Does that yeah. make sense? Yep, for sure. When did you become like aware of tattooing and tattoo culture? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. Um, so I was in high school drawing logos for my friend's bands. I was not a musician. I, my kid just started doing piano lessons and it's crazy Mm -hmm. because he can like listen to a melody and repeat it on the piano. Mm -hmm. I've never been able to do that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mess around with guitar and bass, whatever. And even just trying to get it in tune is like, Mm -hmm. it's a struggle. Like my brain just does not hear notes Mm -hmm. like other people do. So anyway, I never was not the musician, but, Mm -hmm. um, in high school, a couple of my buddies started getting tattooed. Um, and it it was, they went to pinky and uh, I even like in high school designed a tattoo for my friend Rich, mm-hmm. um, and and Pinky tattooed and it. Pinky tattooed Shit, it. That's yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, I saw a couple friends get tattooed, and it was uh, that was a pretty a very pivotal experience. Mm-hmm. Um, going down to San Carlos when San Carlos was seedy and Dragon Tattoo was scary and mm-hmm. dirty, and mm-hmm. you didn't know what was going to be in there, and right. like 
super intimidating, which is like, I don't want to create a, uh, an environment that is scary, but there is something way cooler about going into a place where you're a little bit nervous, you mm-hmm, know, than mm-hmm. to like, kids just walk in tattoo shops nowadays, like, yeah, they own the place. And yeah. it's like, no, back in my day, you walk in very meek and scared and yes mm-hmm. or no, sir. Like, mm-hmm. anyway, so they got a couple tattoos and um, I'm like, man, that's cool. I want to get a tattoo. So uh, I at first thought I should be able to draw something up. So I started researching what I know now would be like a Japanese style dragon. Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I literally went to the library, the library right on Pearl Avenue. I think it's, uh, yep. I know um, right where that is. <laughs> went through the, uh, the card catalog and looked up dragons and I, you know, maybe found the D and D monster manual uh-huh. and things uh-huh. like that, or maybe some Tolkien stuff or who knows, but there was virtually no imagery, uh, for what would end up being tattoo style dragons, mm-hmm. Japanese style dragons. Mm-hmm. And, um, which also kind of like, reinforces where I came from you yeah if you wanted a picture of an awesome dragon that's you know dragons and panthers and all that kind of stuff those image that imagery lives in tattoo shops mm-hmm. that it's tattooing is one of those mediums that's really self-referential mm-hmm. you know that a lot of these tattoos are kind of referring previous tattoos mm-hmm. you know so if you don't know the joke you don't get the joke mm-hmm. but um anyway so uh I realized quickly that I had no idea how to draw a dragon um, it's all a re- also a recurring theme in my career that I feel like I have been chasing the dragon for 30 uh-huh. something years that like, I love drawing dragons, but it's always a challenge. Mm-hmm. And that's one of those things that will always be a challenge. Anyway. So I ended up, uh, uh, went, was in picky shop a couple times and saw a dragon on the wall that I thought would, would work well. And then went down with a couple buddies and, uh, I was not 18. So I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I do not recommend anyone doing this, uh, but the statute of limitations is over. So, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I signed something stating that I was over the age of 18. And then my buddy that was with me, like co-signed it. And I signed a fake name. Um, I, I, I signed the name Brett Von Borden. <laughs> I remember to this day because there was this dude we used to make fun of that looked somewhere between Brett Michaels, John Bon Jovi, and Lizzie Borden. Uh-huh. So uh, anyway, I used that name and then got a tattoo and like Pinky did the outline and uh, it was horrifically painful. It was awful. In the middle of it, I thought, I'm never doing this again. Uh-huh. This is the worst. And then- uh, Where he was did, it? Uh, on my shoulder. Okay. And then- uh, he sat me down on that dirty ass couch <laughs> and I sat there bleeding for probably 20 minutes. And then it might've been David. I'm not sure, but whoever uh-huh. was working with him at the time did the color. Uh-huh. And uh, there was always a little bit of a language barrier there, which in retrospect, I know sometimes they used to their advantage. They yeah. pretended like they didn't understand if they didn't want to deal with you. Um, I think Pinky understood English pretty well, you know, oh, but yeah. he yeah, could yeah. play dumb when he wanted to. But anyway, I told David, whoever it was, I mean, keep in mind, this is the mid to late 80s, that I wanted like a turquoise and magenta dragon. Okay. And I got none of that. Okay. okay. <laughs> I just did the, they, it got colored the way they colored dragons. It's uh-huh. green and red, you know. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, upon completing that, I'm like, I'm never doing that again. That was awful. Did you, you, know? like, did you like it though? Or- yes, I liked having it, but the experience wasn't everything I wanted it right. to be. So it was kind of the thing like I, Filed it back that that's cool, but eh, we'll see. Yeah. And then something really pivotal changed after graduating high school. And I am, I went to De Anza first. And then I think I was at San Jose State uh, studying art. 
And uh, a buddy of mine went and got tattooed by Freddie Corbin at Realistic, mm. which mm-hmm. is kind of a big deal because that was yeah. Ed, Ed Hardy's shop that he did. Once again, people want to say they're they're inventing the reinventing the wheel, but no, Hardy went to Japan, saw how they did stuff. Where they would mm-hmm. almost, the Japanese would do things primarily in private studios because it was technically illegal at the right. time. So right. he came back and set up a private studio. So mm-hmm. the first shop in San Francisco. Uh, Realistic was a private studio, right. and, and Freddie was working there. My buddy Lex got tattooed by Freddie, and then he got an awesome tattoo, and then he they ended up opening up Tattoo City, and my buddy got a uh, whole sleeve by Freddie. And I'm Damn. like, whoa, this is cool. And then I uh, ended up going up. I don't know if I went with him or went by myself, but went up and made an appointment to get tattooed by Freddie. I got a tribal armband. But that was what was cool at the time. Oh, you got a band. Yeah, I got an armband right here. Okay. Which, believe it or not, at one time, it's kind of like his style has changed so much over the years. At one time, (laughs) Freddie was known for tribal stuff. In the early 90s, that was his thing. He was doing this kind of cutting-edge tribal, and then he'd mix a little bit of kind of psychedelic stuff in it. So, like, yeah, his his style has changed over time. And uh, hats off to Freddie. He is one of the most awesome, gentle, kind human human beings. The coolest dude ever. Like, Mr. Nice Guy, like... I, I can't think of a better spokesman for the industry, you mm-hmm. know, like he mm-hmm. is the guy that will remember your name. Like yep. he is cool. He is the the complete opposite of tattitude. Like he's, yep. he's amazing. And I have uh, nothing but great things to say about that dude. But anyway, I uh, went up and made, it, made an appointment with Freddie, got tattooed by Freddie and like just upon entering Tattoo City. So it, Tattoo City was filled with Ed Hardy's paintings, mm-hmm. real Sailor Jerry Flash, like all this shit I didn't know at the time it was cool, but mm-hmm knew it was amazing. Mm-hmm. And then I, I still to this day say that that was probably the greatest lineup in a tattoo shop ever. So that was Ed Hardy, um, Dan Higgs, Freddie Corbin, Eddie Deutsch, and I God think damn. Igor Mortis was there. And at the time, those dudes were doing just face-melting shit. Yeah. Like just, and those dudes were the epitome of cool, man. Mm-hmm. Like gold teeth, cranking gangster rap, like... Mm-hmm. Um, and like all of them doing totally different stuff. Like mm-hmm. Eddie's Japanese stuff was just next level, yeah. you know, like definitely kind of like from the Ed Hardy tradition, but doing his own spin on it. And, you know, Dan's doing his thing. It, it, so entering that place was kind of like walking into church, you know, yeah. it was like, oh, everything is glowing, yep. you know, literally and metaphorically. Like it was absolutely amazing. And that, yeah. that, literally changed my life you yeah. know so um there i had a phenomenal experience yeah mm-hmm. it hurt but the you know having freddie do your first tattoo it's kind of all downhill from that or first real tattoo pinky did my first one first like custom tattoo mm-hmm. um it's all downhill from there because that dude is so smooth in every way like <laughs> everything he's so nice like it makes you feel comfortable you feel feel heard like um yeah that was great and that you know set the tone for me later in life but mm-hmm. um yeah after that i'm like damn that shit is cool you know that was like i knew i wasn't going to be able to to make a mark in the music scene other than maybe drawing some t-shirts and i had done some logos and record covers and stuff like that but nothing mm-hmm. that was like really making a mark but that feels like oh maybe uh um that can be my thing you mm-hmm. know so and i i, I express some interest to some friends and then they actually for my birthday, got together. They all chipped in and bought me a tattoo machine and power supply. Mm-hmm. And then uh, at a sh- on my actual birthday, 
1992 um, at a sleep show at the Cactus Club. Um, pulled me on stage, and with a couple of the friends band, Dear Decease and River Things, all awesome dudes. And I, I can't name everybody who's involved in this, but uh, if you know who you are, and thank you very much. I, I owe my literally my life to you guys. Um, but yeah, a bunch of folks chipped in, bought me Tattoo Machine Power Supply, unbeknownst to me, pulled me on stage on my birthday before sleep went on and gave me this Tattoo Machine Power Supply. Shit. And my life was like forever changed since. And, and it's weird how things come full circle because just recently I acquired a, uh, a flyer from that show and mm -hmm. a picture from that show. And that's right there, that pink flyer right there. Oh, snap. That's from that show. And if you look down at the bottom, mm -hmm. it, uh, my friend Pat, rest in peace, he drew the flyer. Mm -hmm. um, it says Clemfest 92. And I had forgot all this shit uh -huh. until, until uh, someone forwarded me this dude that was uh, showing like old San Jose punk rock flyers. Mm -hmm. And then this one popped up. He's like, hey, were you there? I'm like, holy shit. That's where it all started. That uh -huh. was the one. So I hit him up and he kind of knew who he was. So I traded him. I'm sure he didn't sell those things, but I'm like, dude, this is like pretty special to me. And he's uh -huh. like, yeah. So I traded him a painting and got that. Yeah. And then... Uh, had a friend send me an actual photo uh -huh. from that show of me getting that tattoo machine oh when God. I uh, uh, had really long hair. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. That's so anyway, that, that was how, that's my, my origin story. That's some, uh -huh. some fantastic people that I owe everything to. Um, Lex and Kelly mainly. Um, that, that was shipped to their house. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, uh, gave me that little push that I... I to this day, I don't know if I would have done on my own. Yeah. And um, especially at that time, it was not something that was easy to get into. Mm -hmm. It was absolutely the opposite. And humor me for this little uh, get off my lawn moment. It was just <laughs> like, there was, there was no information out there. Yeah. You know, this is pre-internet. Um, tattooing is still very subculture. Right. This is not something that's common, you know. Right. Um, but uh, from there... I knew I wanted to do this. I got Spalding and Rogers' uh, A to Z book, which mm -hmm. is How to Tattoo, which yep. um, I would love to read again because the information is questionable at best, but <laughs> it got some concepts, you know? Uh -huh. But I, I, I knew really quickly that I had no idea what I was doing. So mm -hmm. I did not start tattooing anyone for quite a while, you know? Mm -hmm. um, parallel to this whole thing, uh, I, I think Lex was talking to... Freddie and saying, Hey, there's just my buddy Clem wants to start tattooing. Um, you know, what can we do to help him? And Freddie's like, Oh, okay, cool. And then Ross and Mav, who ended up opening up the, the pinup parlor in mm -hmm. San Jose, mm -hmm. um, were getting tattooed by Freddie. Mm -hmm. And Freddie's like, Oh, you guys are from San Jose. There's this Clem dude. Um, if you get a chance, help him out. Mm -hmm. And they're like, Okay, cool. I didn't know that that conversation went on. Uh -huh. And uh, they opened up the pinup parlor, which was not far from uh, my girlfriend at the time's house. And like uh, one evening just decided to stop by to check it out, you know? Mm -hmm. And this was on 2nd Street, 2nd and William. There's a little Spanish style house mm -hmm. that uh, it was been a couple different things. I think it's just someone's house now. Mm -hmm. um, went in there and uh, that place was just filled with like, Sailor Jerry Flash, like Sailor Jerry line drawings that I think they colored, Ed Hardy Flash, um, which now seems appropriate. But at the time, nobody was really into that stuff. Mm -hmm. And these two dudes, Ross and Mav, were uh, um, wearing vintage suits, 
you know, would <laughs> okay. have like a 45 in a shoulder holster and a 38 in their ankle. That like, checks out. <laughs> um, just like gangsters, you know. Um, and they, uh, I went in and just just introduced myself and said, hey. And they're like, we've heard of you. And I'm like, mm. oh, shit, what's happening? And, and they were from a totally different scene. They came from like kind of rockabilly skinhead scene, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I was definitely more the long hair kind of scene. Mm-hmm. Much to Mab's chagrin, he hated my long hair. <laughs> anyway, so they said, yeah, well, um, I was still going to, to school at the time. So they're like, yeah, come on by and hang out. So I, I would go there and just kind of shadow them and look over their shoulder for a while. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, I kind of brought that art school mentality. And they brought mm-hmm. the, like, they had been getting tattooed forever. And mm-hmm. they knew what was cool and why it was cool and how to do it right. And, you know, kind of set the... Uh, the role model for what a tattooer should be, mm-hmm. you know? So I'd go mm-hmm. kind of hang out and watch them. And then eventually they felt confident enough to watch over me and my mm-hmm. friend, Mike Graber volunteered to be the first. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did my first tattoo in his kitchen um, with them, with Ross watching over me. And mm-hmm. then I, I, did, I wouldn't say I did a formal apprenticeship with those guys, but mm-hmm. they definitely helped me. They definitely gave me an opportunity mm-hmm. um, and a space to do it. And, um, you know, from there, it was just like nose to the grindstone, yeah. you know, like keep going. And then, you know, always kind of looking up at like that kind of tattoo city has always been my like benchmark. That's mm-hmm. that, that kind of mentality, that kind of vibe is what I have always been kind mm-hmm. of striving towards. And then um, not many people know this, but, uh, Chris Kahn ended up working at the pinup parlor for a little okay. while who uh-huh. uh, has, has a resurgence in fame lately. And he is, so those guys kind of define cool. Kahn walked in and he's at the time was pretty green, you know, mm-hmm. but still light years ahead of, of mm-hmm. everyone else. Like mm-hmm. that dude has the artistic muscle and grace that only the like cream of the crop, like just watching that dude draw was jaw dropping. Like he mm-hmm. just, Everything was so natural and fluid and, like, everything about the dude was, like, uh, was cool. You know, he, that, he could tell a story, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. Uh, every, he had really in, in, into weird, obscure stuff, like, made tattoos cool, yeah. you know. Uh, he wasn't really good at, like, being at a certain place at a certain time or, like, doing mm-hmm. what people wanted him to mm-hmm, do, you mm-hmm. know, which is still clearly not his favorite thing. But... Um, just as far as artistic muscle, some people, I think, you know, there's a balance when, when, when it comes to a craft of uh, uh, inspiration, perspiration, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. a lot of things you can kind of fight your way through. Like mm-hmm. I could probably put in the work to be able to play a guitar. Yeah. It doesn't mean I'm going to be a guitar player right. or, right. you know, right. Right. Some people are, and I've worked with a couple of these guys that are like, and gals, uh, there's just something different. Their mm-hmm. brain is built different mm-hmm. um, that can just put it down. Mm-hmm. And whereas I'm more the like pencil one hand, eraser in the other, hard work pays off, mm-hmm. you know? Some people are just gifted, you mm-hmm. know? And if if I could have combined my work ethic with some of their natural talents, it would have been, uh, you know, universe changing, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. But what comes with an est- extreme talent comes uh life skills are hard sometimes you know yeah. i think people who are very creative tend to be very sensitive mm-hmm. you know and have uh 
addiction issues and all those things that go with it, that, that life is not as easy as some people, you mm -hmm. know? Um, it's great when they find the thing that they're good at, but it can also become a burden sometimes too. Mm -hmm. You know, you mm -hmm. can end up, you know, I, I absolutely love doing what I'm doing and I, I've been very fortunate to not pigeonhole myself to get stuck doing stuff, mm -hmm. you know, where I know people get known for doing something and that's all they do and they start resenting it, mm -hmm. you know? And it's sad when you find something so special, but yet you get kind of annoyed at it, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm no. bouncing all over the place. No, 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 this is great. This is fantastic. So help me put a little bit of context here. Freddie Corbin is not that much older than you, right? I don't think so, but yeah. he started a little bit younger than I. He was like he's, 18, 19 when he started, right? Yeah, yeah. I didn't start till 22. You're right. So he had a little bit of heads up on me and he was just ahead of the game in the scene mm -hmm. ahead of time. Like, yeah, those guys were really kind of like breaking new ground, yeah. you know, making shit happen, like making up the rules as they're going, you know, well, that, which so much of that was like Ed starting the, 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 the archetype and them just kind of, right. you know, setting them alley, alley ooping it to them and the, yeah. knowing that they had the talent, whereas he kind of gave them the opportunity and like, I'm sure some tutelage too, yeah. you know, yeah. um, I'm sure he definitely helped, but mm -hmm. uh, yeah, just in, in that really kind of like set the trajectory for tattooing in general. Right, right. You know, it, you know, really, really changed things. And then that even opened up the opportunity for the like kind of second gen, you mm -hmm. know, like I feel like that early 90s San Francisco scene is still one of my favorite of all times. Mm -hmm. That San Francisco in the early 90s was the mecca mm -hmm. for um cutting edge tattooing so that right. had like obviously tattoo city and then you had marcus pacheco aaron kane yep. um scott sylvia jeff rasher yep. uh the everlasting dudes mm -hmm. primal urge all that was like oh yeah couldn't wait to i was working at a uh an upholstery shop at the time and delivering furniture and we would uh spend a lot of time at 7-eleven drinking big gulps and look i would look at tattoo magazines and mm -hmm. the guy I was looking at like car magazines mm -hmm. and just yeah couldn't wait to see the new stuff and seeing that stuff that uh those guys were doing once again from the mentality of like reinventing the tattoo mm -hmm. and making it super artistic mm -hmm. it really kind of striving to get some artistic credibility um yeah, it was phenomenal to see happening and, and, and has been super influential ever since. And then mm -hmm. has also opened the way to the, the infinite subgenres of tattooing happening right. now. Right. You know, like right. um, Adrian would not deny like a, a, a huge influence to Marcus Pacheco. You know, oh, yeah. Marcus Pacheco has kind of started the uh, very figural and very kind of super color light sourcey, the, the, you know, mm -hmm. people afraid of the light kind of thing. Yeah. Like, that's where that comes from. And then Adrian kind of picked it up and ran with it. Right. You know, they, they went different directions, but it's still, I, I would say, loosely in the same genre. 100%. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah. Yeah. What, so you were at, you were at, you got your start at the pinup parlor. Correct. What kind of stuff, what kind, what kind of shop was the pinup parlor? Was it a street shop? <laughs> it was 100% a street shop. Okay. Um, I like to say that there was a, a lot more uh, hanging out and cigarette smoking done than there was yeah. a ton of tattooing. Yeah. Sounds um, about right. There's a couple of us that were like, I mean, Ross and Mav didn't have that much more experience than I did, to be totally honest. They were kind of right. figuring it out, and they were tattooing their friends, and then just random neighborhood folks. And, um, 
you know, downtown San Jose at the time was still kind of seedy, you know, like mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. the sofa area was just kind of starting. So there's like the Cactus Club and mm -hmm. FX and Ajax was mm -hmm. just getting going. But downtown was still pretty ugly, you know, like, and um, right outside of, uh, right on 2nd and William, we were out before, but in the evenings was where all the, uh, the ladies of the evening would hang out. Mm -hmm. So you can watch them um, with, it's always like a, 50 something year old white dude like myself now <laughs> not at the time show up in like a large sedan and pick up this gal and then drive away and then drop her off very quickly <laughs> <laughs> um they were they had a good racket anyway and then but so it was a little seedy there and then the contrast of that is we were pretty much right next door to uh, notre dame high school the okay. catholic yep. girls school yep and uh, one of my favorite stories of the pinup parlor was that there was some sort of issue at the school, whereas the bathroom was nasty. I don't know if there's a plumbing issue or it just mm -hmm. wasn't well kept. So that it was like, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. There was times where we'd sit and look at the girls in the Catholic school girl uh -huh. uniforms, uh -huh. you know? Uh -huh. There was a time where it was like their, one of their sports teams or something like that needed to use our bathroom. So they're uh -huh. coming into the, going from the Catholic girl school into the tattoo shop to use the bathroom because the bathroom there was cleaner. Uh-huh. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, there was a, a, a lot of hanging out. There was, we were all doing tattoos, but not uh -huh. in the way people think you're doing tattoos now where you're right. like book solid and all that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. no, there was a lot of days where you're just hanging out and right. drawing or talking shit or learning about guns or, you know, right. <laughs> you know right. uh, pontificating on whatever. Uh, it, it was an amazing uh, formative experience because mm -hmm. I, I want to say so much of what I learned about what is cool about tattooing came from those guys. Mm -hmm. Like um, what they didn't have in as much artistic muscle they had in like what gives this value and what why why are things cooler than others and and more what the heritage is mm -hmm. and like kind mm -hmm. of like learning some of the um, the gods and the deities of yeah. the, this whole religion, you mm -hmm. know. Um, and yeah, I, I, I very much cherish that time though it was brief. Um, and, uh, people ended, uh, going different ways. Um, both Ross and Mab ended up going up to Portland mm -hmm. working for Terry Tweed. Mm -hmm. Uh, actually I think Mav first went down to Fullerton and was working at classic at Eric Maskey's shop. Uh, and then he ended up in Portland too. Con ended up in Portland eventually too. Mm. Um, and then that shop closed down and then I ended up over at, uh, at Scotty's shop. Yeah. And that's when I started my, uh my term over there. Yeah. Well, um, what kind of stuff, before we get to Marks of Art real quick, mm -hmm. what kind of stuff were you mostly tattooing at Pinup Parlor? Pinup Parlor was mainly kind of tribal stuff, real graphic stuff, mm -hmm. which was kind of hip at the time. I was still kind of swinging in the dark, trying to mm -hmm. figure out what I was doing. I knew I really liked Japanese stuff, but it takes a bit of study to kind of get yeah. it, you know? Yeah. Um, and you know it, it's it's interesting when someone first starts, you get get a couple passes. They'll kind of let you get away with a couple things because they're just dumb luck, right? And then you start to realize what you don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, like at first you don't know anything, right. so it's but and then as time goes on, like even now, thirty plus years later, I'm acutely aware of what I don't know how to do. Right. You know, right. um, it's much more specific and much more uh, pointed. But uh, you know, I, I was still all kinds of just swing in the dark trying to figure it out along with like my ethos has always been like contrary to Adrian who was like laser focused on what his aesthetic is and mm -hmm. he does one thing and he does it really well. Mm -hmm. 
I'm kind of a man of the people, like a mm-hmm. neighborhood tattoo guy. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Um, I want to give them what they want. I right. think it's my responsibility to like, you have this concept because it's important to you. I don't want to stomp on that. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to take what you're saying and then mix in my experience and whatever I think would be uh, beneficial to that design. And let's make it something that's elevated a little bit and mm-hmm. let's make it cool, you mm-hmm. know? Whereas like, some people, well, this is all I do. You can mm-hmm. pick one of these. Mm-hmm. Like, no, I, tattooing is probably the only time uh, normal, quote unquote, normal person, blue collar, average person will commission artwork. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the average person is so removed from artwork. And unfortunately, just the creative, creative energy, creative, you know, they don't have a chance to be a part of that. So, and, and yeah. tattooing is one of those things where like, no, you come in, I'm going to do something exclusively for you. And that's mm-hmm. what, and I think that's what makes it special. Like flash is cool. But yeah. I think I feel that's almost as like a, a nostalgia kind mm-hmm. of thing, you mm-hmm. know, or it's just a neat pre-made design, but it's, I come from the generation and it's clearly changing now that like my job is to like create and install mm-hmm. artwork that's of your, you start the ball rolling. You get the mm-hmm. momentum going, mm-hmm. and I'll kind of pick it up and uh, make it appropriate for a tattoo. And now you've got something that's all yours. Mm-hmm. You know that if I did it or whoever did it, it's going to be different. Mm-hmm. And there isn't necessarily a right or wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but I know the way I approach things, and yeah, you know, yeah. Anyway. So was it a sim- going from uh, the pinup parlor to Marks of Art? Was it a similar vibe? Yeah, it was a very similar vibe. Uh, Marks of Art's also um, a street shop. I, clear, early on, um, people in kind of the, the the music scene and people I knew just from being 20-something were starting to get tattooed by me. Mm-hmm. And um, pretty quickly, I started doing the kind of, I wouldn't say appointment only, but primarily appointment, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. kind of custom stuff to where it wasn't the just, hey, hold on, I'll draw that up for you. It was like, okay, uh, come back next week and I'll yeah. have a drawing ready for you. Yeah. So I needed to kind of, you know, ironically, I mean, the, the position, the job that has the most homework, you know, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, yeah, yeah. there's a lot of time spent uh, out of the shop drawing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, no, pretty quickly towards the end of Pinup Parlor and in, in the beginning of Marks of Art, it was pretty kind of custom shop style. So mm-hmm. people kind of come in and say, hey, I want to get one of these with a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And then I would... Uh, get a drawing together and we'd work on that and starting to do a little bit bigger stuff too. Mm-hmm. So it would be multiple sittings and, mm-hmm. and, and building up. Um, so yeah, that's when that kind of transition happened. Who was your, um, at Marks of Art, were you kind of mentored by anyone or was it more like a partnership or how um, was, I, I mean, Scotty was still pretty early on in totally, his career. Well, back then Scotty too. was definitely a mentor. That dude's awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, just in the way he, conducts himself mm-hmm. and his work ethic and uh you know his his moral compass you mm-hmm. know what what's the right thing to do what's the wrong thing to do uh and then you know there's there were so many people have gone through that shop that uh I, i'm gonna miss some names mm-hmm. but you know uh, you know multiple people mentioned justin justin was hugely influential yep. um definitely not in his work ethic but in his <laughs> uh his ability to draw was phenomenal that mm-hmm. dude could uh really kind of understood all that really needs to be there, like mm-hmm. how to distill something, you know? Yeah, there's a bunch of people there that were uh, that were influential in lots of different ways. Mm-hmm. But I also think like influences are varied, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, not only by, I've been hugely influenced by all the people I've worked with, 
um, huge also influenced by everyone I've gotten tattooed by, you mm-hmm. know, and, and I think for a tattoo, it's really important to go get tattooed, you yeah. know, and it's a completely different experience. Like it's, I've done it a bunch of times. You get tattooed by the dudes you work with or mm-hmm. gals. Um, it's cool, but it's much cooler to show up and uh, do the dance like a customer would, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. make a consultation, pay a fucking deposit, like yeah. do the whole thing. Yep. And it, it makes you, when getting tattooed, you got to be on your A game mm-hmm. and you can kind of sit back and you're going to learn more there mm-hmm. in that three hours than you do at the shop for a year yep. because you're going to see the things that work. You're going to see the things that don't work. Mm-hmm. You're going to see, um, I've gotten tattooed by a lot of different people and mm-hmm. every time I've learned something, sometimes mm-hmm. it's what to do. Sometimes it's what not to do, you know, <laughs> yeah. not to name any names. You yeah, know? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, that's I'm sure it's the same in, in a lot of things. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, how long were you at Marks of Art? I was at Marks of Art. That's a great question. I want to say five or six years. Okay. Yeah. And uh, the sorry. Do you need Do you need a break? Are you doing good? No, I'm We've doing been great. About an hour. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I yeah. I'm doing great. I it's um I often I'm so I'm I get so sucked into the stories and everything sure, that yeah. I don't realize that the person I'm interviewing sometimes needs a break and like no uh, no no yeah. I, I'm worried that I'm just kind of blabbering no, 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 on no, no. too You're, much. No, sure? no no this is fantastic. Okay, this okay. is fantastic. So. Was it uh, you left? You left Marks of Art, and is that when you came down here to Santa Cruz? Or? Yeah, I was at Marks of Art for about six years, and, and uh, while I was there, Talkie started working there. He was still pretty green. Um, he he helped me out and uh, uh, helped set up a trip to Japan. You know, and mm-hmm. I got to go work at uh, Horiyoshi Three's Tattoo Museum in Yokohama. Wow, which was a uh, also a, a life changing experience. Yeah. I went. I mean, I, once again, I owe I owe a ton to Talkie. He it's been so good at being a part of the community, mm-hmm. whereas I'm a bit of a recluse. You know, mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not good at social events and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. He's great at pressing hand. He's great yeah. at knowing everybody. Yep. Um, so he enabled a trip to Japan, even down to that dude. <laughs> I made a cassette tape of, of Japanese phrases to practice, mm-hmm. like my pleases and thank yous. And I remembered distinctly, it was a cassette tape that... It was an old Susie and the Banshees tape that he, <laughs> that he learned me some uh, pleases and thank yous to take to, to, to Japan. And I ended up going in April, and uh, which is when the cherry blossoms are in bloom. Mm-hmm. I, I think it was just coincidentally. But there was a time where I think we were in Kyoto, walking over a little wooden bridge with a little stream underneath it. There is cherry blossoms just drifting down onto the and floating on the water and underneath it were koi fish mm-hmm. and I, what the fuck is happening right now like mm-hmm. i'm is this real like <laughs> i thought that was a caricature of japan i was like in the Jap- japan video game right there it was like or we went to we went to hameji castle which is an old castle that survived world war ii and same thing people will just go out and picnic and like drink beer and watch the cherry blossoms mm-hmm. fall mm-hmm. and uh yeah, that that was an, a phenomenal experience, and I clearly have, I'm, I'm a, a Japanophile. I love Japanese yeah. stuff. You know, the food, the culture, the all, all of it. I'm, I'm a big fan of. And going there just reinforced that. You know, yeah. like everything's so organized, so clean. People are friendly. Like, I, I like the food. I like the mm-hmm. art. You know, like it really. And it was, you know, I got to work in the tattoo museum, which was. A huge honor. It was yeah. amazing. I wasn't very busy. I didn't do a lot of tattoos, but mm-hmm. I did tattoo there. And I, uh, 
I, I worked with another dude who was kind of an ancillary figure in another family. Um, and I'm spacing on his name now. It'll come back to me later. Horishichi, Horish. Anyway, he uh, was kind of like an apprentice guy. So mm-hmm. kind of a lower down in mm-hmm. one of the other families or associate of some sort. And uh, he spoke about as much English as I spoke Japanese. Mm-hmm. But two dudes sitting in a tattoo shop can draw pictures of most things. Mm-hmm. And, and we got along great. And that dude, uh, I would, uh, you know, we would go out to lunch and I'd just be like, uh, take me where you would go, mm-hmm. you know, and just get me whatever you're getting. Yeah. And got to see, I mean, the whole thing being that it was curated by Horiyoshi and Taki, like stayed in a, in a real Ryakan, which is like a Japanese businessman's hotel, mm-hmm. which is just kanji out front. And it's like tatami mats, the mm-hmm. full, the bathroom is just, the bath is like a tile area where you just fill up warm water and pour it over yourself. Mm-hmm. But I go in there and they're like, okay, you use this bathroom, no Japanese in there. Cause the, you know, mm-hmm. being heavily tattooed in Japan, it, they want to make sure you're kind of yeah. taken care of, but clearly they had a set up with Horiyoshi. Um, but yeah, just to get the, the, the real deal experience yeah. of what Japanese culture was like was, and I, I, I've been meaning to go back ever since. It's been super cool. And, and anyway, at you, Marks of Art, working with Taki, he enabled that to happen. Eh? Did, and then, um, did you, sorry, did you ask him or was that oh, something yeah. he offered? No, or? that was, he was at the time um, going regularly. Mm-hmm. And I think, I, I don't know how this subject was brought up. I'm not good at asking for that kind of thing, but um, he fully made it happen. Yeah. And even down to like, I uh, brought a bunch of cash, but it was kind of assuming that I would do credit cards for a lot of things. And when mm-hmm. you go stay in the, the Ryokan, you pay cash. Mm-hmm. And right away, that was like most of the money I had. Mm-hmm. I, wasn't, I was expecting to be able to use a card. Mm-hmm. And then he called to check and see how things were going. And I'm like, oh, it's good. But I, I kind of went through a bunch of cash and the, the, the shop wasn't that busy. So I wasn't making a lot of money. He's like, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. And like in 10 minutes, Horiyoshi's wife came up and gave me an envelope filled with cash. Oh, wow. And I'm like, oh, shit. So, like, as soon as I got home, the first thing I did was pay Taki back that money, and he wired mm-hmm. it to them, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, yeah, that was – they know awesome. how to take care of their people. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, uh, yeah, I very much cherish that experience, you mm-hmm. know? And, and still, Wall Street Marks of Art, I worked with uh, Marty Maskey, who was – he tattoos at Morgan Hill right now. Mm-hmm. He was in the scene a little bit before me. He got tattooed by Carrie Barba way back in the day. Mm-hmm. He had this like mind blowing. <clears throat> I still remember it to this day. Uh, like a wizard with like a, um, it's almost like an Escher drawing almost of a wizard with a crystal ball with a reflection of the wizard in it. Mm-hmm. That was just like, oh, top shelf. Anyway, he w- at the time was going back and forth between Amsterdam. And, mm. and like Morgan Hill. Mm-hmm. So he lined up, hooked me up with uh, Eddie from Tattoo Peter, mm-hmm. which is the, I think Tattoo Peter is the longest concurrent or longest standing, open the oldest tattoo shop in Amsterdam. Okay. So then I got the full Euro experience, mm-hmm. which was another, I could go into for quite a while that one too, yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah. got to go there. But once again, I got to thank Marty for that. He set mm-hmm. that whole thing up, you yeah. know, and I got to live and work in Amsterdam for a month, you know? Wow. Which was uh, which was super cool. Yeah, that's that's that. And you you were what like ten years into your career at this point? Yeah, I was gonna say no, like a little under ten, yeah. pushing ten. So yeah, well, yeah, that's like late ni- late nineties. Went to Amsterdam in ninety nine, mm-hmm. um, and I think Japan was. 
I think it was right after. It was right after that because I think I was living here. So I moved over here in about 2000 mm-hmm. or right before 2000. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, while you were in Japan, were you already kind of, you, it sounds like you were already um, dabbling in Japanese tattooing. Mm-hmm. Did, how did that enhance that for you? It just kind of put a, it put a context to it. Mm-hmm. I, I think something about tattooing that has always been appealing to me, and I think it's true for a lot of people without articulating it, is the sense of the exotic. Mm-hmm. That it is something not from Southside San Jose. Uh-huh. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, that yeah, is yeah. something from another world. And, and even since sailors going over to Hong Kong or going to Japan and getting a mm-hmm. little souvenir, you get a little touch of the exotic. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something like, it's our job as practitioners is to keep that a little bit sacred, that this is something that's special. This mm-hmm. is something that is not your everyday life. It's mm-hmm. not your nine to five. It's not the office. It's not, this is something special and something mm-hmm. different. So Japanese stuff clearly is like exotic and it's filled with tradition and it has all these rules and like it's interpreting, it's it's a new religion almost, mm-hmm. you know, into mm-hmm. itself with its own gods and deities that yeah. go with it you know and, and, and something about that made it super appealing that mm-hmm. it is something next level and it's something to be uh respected and admired and, yeah. and uh uh there is appropriate choices and inappropriate choices right. and you know um i think for a long time i really struggled with like what's an overfed white guy from the suburbs doing japanese stuff mm-hmm. but it was probably talkie or tomo were saying that like if Westerners did not embrace Japanese tattooing, it might have died, mm-hmm. you know? And the mm-hmm. fact that, and there's no one's getting, even if it's quote unquote not done properly, no one's getting a Japanese dragon or a Hanya or a chrysanthemum because they think that stuff's dumb. They're getting mm-hmm. it because they think it's cool. Right. So as long as the, the reverence is there, mm-hmm. cool, it keeps mm-hmm. it going. Mm-hmm. And even those guys who are like super traditionalists, mm-hmm. Their shit's evolving too. Yeah. Like it's not, it's not a static thing, you mm-hmm. know, it's constantly evolving, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I, I I would highly recommend everyone um getting Rick Rubin's book, The Creative Act. If mm-hmm. you are a creative person, doesn't matter what you do, um, if you make anything or you consider yourself create a writer, a baker, whatever, um, the cre- it, it's it's tying into the creative act. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um and he puts it in the context of like the creative energy within the universe. Some would call it the muse. And I think, sorry, I'm gonna get a little bit esoteric no, here for, for a go minute. For like, um, even with the Japanese dudes, when they're in the groove and they're doing their thing, or the trad dudes, or people welding sculpture, or people, whatever, if you do, do your prep right, you've, you've put in the hours, you've set up your environment the way you want to you can kind of latch on to this creative force and, and, and it will put you in almost a flow state. You know, yeah. people, martial yeah. arts will state it, soldiers will say it, and I mm-hmm. think it's true for creatives too, mm-hmm. that once you're like, everything, all the environment is correct and everything, you, you have a proper breakfast and you're properly caffeinated, mm-hmm. all the things, mm-hmm. once you get working and doing what you do, mm-hmm. you can kind of latch on to this creative energy and it'll pull you. Mm-hmm. And, and it, you know, just like some, like an athlete will say like, when everything's perfect and you're in that flow state, time slows down mm-hmm. and you can't make a bad move. Everything mm-hmm. keeps happening. And I think that happens with artists as well too. 
And it's really important to like respect that energy, you know, and, and it's, it's probably the, 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 the biggest thing that makes us human other than being humane mm-hmm. and caring for other people mm-hmm. and uh, taking care of other people is the creative act. Mm-hmm. is making something new and original. And that doesn't mean it has to be a picture on a wall. Mm-hmm. That can be a new recipe. That could be uh, figuring out a new way to teach kids math. Mm-hmm. That can be whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But that's what really makes us kind of human. That, that, yeah. that what's makes kind of what makes life worth living, you mm-hmm. know, is doing new stuff and like, or, or just to put a different problem solving. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Problem solving is creativity 100% too. Mm-hmm. Even if you're figuring out spreadsheets or math problems like Mm -hmm. you have to be creative to do that Mm -hmm. too so um finding that creative force holding on to it and letting it drag you you know Mm -hmm. like but respecting it the whole time call it whatever you want you know uh creative energy you know some sort of spirit some sort of muse whatever same same thing Mm -hmm. you know but um rick rubin's book the creative act goes through it's it's multiple really short chapters and, and all talks about all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And do you know who Rick Rubin is? The name sounds familiar, but I think, I think that's only because of Mike Rubin doll. Oh no, 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 <laughs> so, no. no I, Someone totally different. Yeah. Rick Rubin is a record producer who okay. pretty much, uh, created the soundtrack to my youth. Those like okay. late teens, early twenties. Like, so he, uh, was the DJ for the first I know, I, he, Beastie Boys record. Yes, 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 yes. That's exactly. Yeah. He was the, white dude involved in that early hip hop. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. What was He's the, in what Manhattan. Was the, name of the label? Def Jam. Def Jam. Thank you. Yes. So yeah, okay, he started Def Jam. Is, yeah. So he did first Beastie Boys. He did uh Slayer. He did Danzig's first record. He did the Cult Electric. He mm-hmm. did LL Cool J. He did Public Enemy. Yeah. Like, yeah. and the list goes on and on and on of just the coolest of the cool. That dude. Yeah. And he's known. So his position is just, he, he very uh, humbly says, like, his job is to have good taste, mm-hmm. to know when it's working, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, and his job is to keep the artist doing what they do mm-hmm. and what they do best. Yeah. Because, especially when you get into higher stakes, when, when bands get bigger and there's a lot of pressure, and mm-hmm. this is true of, of, of us as tattooers, tattooers as well, is um, the only thing you can do is be true to yourself. Yeah. Do the stuff that you do well. Once you start doing things because you think it's going to make you more money or you think you're going to get more likes on Instagram, you're not serving that creative force properly. Mm-hmm. You're like, to use a term of my generation, you're selling out, yeah. you know, like, yeah. and being popular isn't selling out, but not being true to yourself and true to what you're doing mm-hmm. is 100% selling out, mm-hmm. you know, and that. It's kind of, it's prostituting yourself. It's doing it just for the for the just for the gram or just mm-hmm. for the for the dollar, mm-hmm. you know. Um, which clearly we need money to keep doing this thing, but um, yeah, to try and stay true to that that creative force. So anyway, yeah, all of you out there, buy that book. It's awesome. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Thanks again so much for listening to this week's episode. Tattoo four hundred eight is created, produced and edited by myself. I'm Ethan Gregory Dodge. It's copyrighted under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. That just means you can do whatever you want with it. Just don't try and make money and always give me proper credit. If you liked the show, please 
leave a five-star review and follow on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at tattoo.408. Later. I recommend you keep listening to Ethan Gregory Dodge.